This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Armchair Explorer, where the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road. I'm Aaron Miller, I'm a travel writer, and this show is all about immersing you in adventures and the amazingness of this planet. Today we welcome a guest who has truly changed the world. Praveen Moman is one of the world's leading conservationists. He's a visionary in his field. And he has helped to protect one of the most critically endangered animals on the planet, the mountain gorilla. And that is where we are going today. We're going to go to the Virunga Mountains of Rwanda in search of mountain gorillas. But that's not all. We're also going to Uganda in search of a lost troop of chimpanzees. Praveen's doing some incredible work there. He's just launched the Chimbora Gorge Ecotourism Project. Uh, it was such an honor to, to hear all about it and hear about the incredible, inspiring work that he does. And to also go and see these two amazing animals, our distant ancestors, up close with Praveen. He's a, an incredibly articulate and inspiring guy. And he's just a lovely, lovely bloke. It was amazing to hang out with him. So if you are ready to hang out with him too, if you're ready to go and experience not one, but two of the world's greatest wildlife experiences, then straight Strap on your boots because I'm ready to. Let's start exploring. But first, just a quick thank you to everyone that has supported the show so far. If you're inspired by what you hear, please share it with a friend and please leave a review for others to find so that we can reach and inspire as many people as possible. We are building a community here of travelers and explorers, of people that want to celebrate the amazingness of this planet by immersing themselves in every single inch of it. If that sounds like you, Welcome, let's hang out, bring your friends, we're going to get on well. Finally, I want to give a big shout out to Volcanoes Safari. This is uh, Praveen's company. He has four lodges in Uganda and Rwanda, and they are some of the most uh, incredible eco-lodges you will ever find. It's the backbone of how Praveen helps to fund his, uh, his conservation efforts. And so you know when you go to these places that they're not just uh, going to give you an incredible experience, but they're also going to benefit the destination, the people, the local community, the wildlife, and the land itself. But now... Let's get ready for the adventure. Praveen picks up the story, talking about his early life growing up in Uganda. Well, my life has had many phases. I was born in Uganda and grew up there, as you said. Uh, and as a child, my father um, took us to all the different parts of Uganda regularly. And the reason for that was that he was passionate about wilderness and wildlife to the point of obsession. Um, so... We knew every corner of East Africa because he wanted to know it. And then that period ended. As you know, post, uh, the Uganda got independence in the early 1960s. And by 1972, there were all these changes when the Amin government said uh, that people who were not Ugandan um, and who were Indian or white shouldn't be there, and they got expelled. So it was quite a major change for our family and quite a... A dramatic change to move on to the UK. 
So Pravin was forced to leave his idyllic childhood exploring these beautiful landscapes of Uganda. He was 16 years old. It was the early 1970s. The Idi Amin government expelled all Asians and Europeans from the country, and he and his family became refugees. They left for London and left everything they knew behind. It was a tough time. He thought he had lost his connection to Africa forever. But Praveen didn't give up. In fact, he thrived. He ended up working for the British government. He became a policy advisor to the European Union. He worked for the European Parliament. He had a hugely successful career that spanned more than two decades. But Africa, that Africa of his childhood, the Western Rift Valley, one of the most pristine and beautiful places on earth, filled with vast plains and mountains and crater lakes and forests and animals of every variety, was always in his heart. It called to him, it never left him. And then, in the 1990s, an opportunity arose and he knew it was time to go home. About 20 odd years ago, um, I started rediscovering Uganda and thinking, well, things were settling down again. And even though I lived in London, how could I relaunch tourism since it was such a rich and special area? And so towards um, the end of the 90s is when I started looking at this area. Uh, unfortunately, the timing wasn't initially very good because the area went into several years of conflict. Okay, that's a huge understatement. The Rwandan civil war lasted from 1990 to 1994. It was one of the 20th century's most bloody and just absolutely horrific conflicts. It ended uh, with a genocide that killed 800,000 ethnic Tutsis in only 100 days. This was friends killing friends, neighbours killing each other. The country was absolutely devastated and so was the whole region, including Uganda, uh, Rwanda's neighbour, who was intimately wrapped up in this brutal, brutal civil war which spilled out across its borders. More than two million people fled the country and the conflict continued even after that genocide for a number of years. This was a situation that Praveen inherited when he decided to return to his beloved homeland. But he wasn't deterred. The rest of the world, the last thing on their mind was tourism. And that's, that's understandable. Who, who would possibly think that tourism uh, could thrive in a, in a post-conflict, in a war-torn region? And even if it did, what benefit could it possibly do to those poor people that lived there and were trying to pick their lives back up? But Praveen disagreed. He saw an opportunity to help rebuild the country and protect the critically endangered primates, the, the mountain gorillas that live there at the same time. And to understand that, we have to understand uh, Praveen's vision for how conservation community and ecotourism can all work together uh, to benefit not just the wildlife or the ecosystem, but crucially, the people that live there too. I think it is quite very simple. It's about economic realities. It's about recognizing their situation recognizing their, their daily realities and making sure you're sharing whatever you can um, that is coming into the area through conservation, through tourism, um, so that they too are benefiting. What is their future? Why should they support your work? Why should they support your lodge? Why should they support the national parks and conservation? That's, that's the critical issue in Africa today. It seems so simple, but but when Praveen first came back here with the idea of launching tourism in the region, it was groundbreaking. 
If you want to protect the land, if you want to protect the wildlife, the people that live there and have lived there for thousands of years need to be involved. They need to be at the center of it. Let them benefit from the conservation of their lands. Let them have a real share in its future and they will own it and fight for it and protect it. And that's exactly what happened. So in 1997, he quit his job. He left London. He left this kind of high-flying career, went to Uganda, moved to Kampala and uh, built a lodge and just went for it. And people thought he was crazy. The, the timing was off, but he did it. Um, and then in 2000, he did something even crazier. He started taking people to Rwanda. He was the first company in the world to do that. Uh, and a few years later, he built his first lodge there, the Virunga Lodge. And though he doesn't say it in the interview, he's too modest to do so. What he did helped to change the future of that country because it helped to change the image of that country. Rwanda went from um, from a post-conflict zone to to something that was probably closer to his childhood memories of that place, a lost paradise, a true paradise where one of the world's most fascinating and incredible creatures makes their home. And we're going to go and visit them. But first, let's set the scene. So as a child, as I said, I traveled everywhere, including this area in western Uganda, uh, where there is a whole series of game parks or wildlife parks in what is called the Albertine Rift. And the Albertine Rift is the most biodiverse area in Africa. Um, and every 100 miles or so, there's a new habitat. It's left this very interesting zone that through the tectonic movements of the Earth has created these different ecosystems and different habitats and different vegetations and with that different wildlife. So you have, for example, Murchison Falls, which is a great uh, park around the falls on the River Nile. You have the Romanzori Mountains, you have the Kibale Forest, which is a major chimp area, and Windy, and the Virungas, uh, for gorillas, of course. And in the middle of Queen Elizabeth National Park is um, a kind of hidden, hidden spot that has its own magic, and that is the Chambura Gorge. It's like a child's dream, because there you have the savannah of the Queen Elizabeth National Park, and um, not far away, you have the Kazinga Channel that links the two lakes, Albert and George. Um, and flowing into the Kazinga Channel is this river Chambura, which has created a, a gorge in the soft part of the earth to create this magical hidden forest. But even more dramatic was a small community of isolated chimpanzees that happened to live in this gorge. These are the lost chimps of Chambura. These guys have been isolated and completely cut off from the rest of the Queen Elizabeth National Park as a result of deforestation and expansion of the local communities. And as a result of that, they are very, very close to extinction. Like us, chimps are really incredibly social animals. They have one of the most complex social systems in the animal kingdom, which is why it's also so rare to find an isolated community like this. Right now, there's only 27 living in the Chambora Gorge. And most of the Chambora Gorge is protected in the Queen Elizabeth National Park, so it's under the control of the Uganda Wildlife Authority. But there's about three kilometers that are not in this protected area, and that's the area we have been working to protect and safeguard, and that is called the Chambura Gorge Ecotourism Project. And what we have done is created a buffer zone um, and created a space between local communities who, of course, have to live there, have to cultivate, have to earn a living, and the gorge. So that the gorge is not threatened, the chimps are not threatened, the habitat is secured, 
and local people have been helped to find alternative land just further away to give um, communities some space and secondly, community livelihood. So in a small way, what we're trying to do is look at all the issues of humans and wildlife living together and trying to make it a win-win situation. So it's not a negative situation so that local people hopefully are not poaching or poaching less. They're not chasing away animals or killing them. Uh, and they understand the value of tourism. And tourism then helps in different ways, either through a lodge or community projects, to put tourism dollars, conservation dollars in their pocket. And the community projects are amazing. He's helped replace roofs. He's set up community cafes. He's trained local youths. He's worked with uh, people with disabilities and disadvantage due to loss of parents and HIV. He started a dance group. He's uh, started a woman's uh, cooperative. But even more amazing than all of that are the chimps themselves. And the only way you can see them is by trekking into the gorge. The trackers, the rangers, they will try and pick up the scent. Sometimes you cross cross the river, sometimes in rather makeshift bridges made from um, tree trunks and sometimes in more rudimentary um, metal bridges. Um, and then suddenly, if you're lucky, you'll hear them more and more. Uh, and they too get excited about this. Um, and usually they will want to come and have a look at you. So they will come down from the canopy and somehow come um, nearer you, just so that they're aware of what's going on. They're, they're generally apprehensive, if you like. Um, so they're watching you, they're coming to see you, sometimes five or 10 meters away at its closest, and sometimes from further away. Uh, and sometimes they're nonchalant. They're watching you while they're eating, while they're conversing, while they're grooming. So it's a very special experience because these are wild chimps that have been habituated. These are not chimps in a zoo. They're not tame, they're not coming to you, you're not supposed to touch them or interact with them or feed them. But they're very conscious of, of your presence. So it's a kind of two-way game. It's not as if it's just that um, you're looking at them, they're also looking at you, learning from you, and trying to see how to outwit you. The chimpanzee, as you know, is, um, is one of the most intelligent animals on the earth, and also one of the most violent. So interacting with the chimp can be quite complicated. And the chimps are very mobile and very agile. So one minute then in the top of the canopy, in the, in the, tall, in, in the top of a tree, um, watching what's happening below them, watching if there any intruders are coming in, whether humans or others, they're constantly passing messages to others in their community. They're constantly um, aware that any predators might come in uh, bother them. They very much want to be in control of their area. Of course, chimpanzees, gorillas and bonobos, which is the dwarf chimpanzee, are our closest relatives. And they are, they share about 98% um, of our DNA. And when you see any of them, either any of these species, you have an immediate bond with them and a different bond. So it's a very uh, special experience and one that you don't forget. I just love the idea of trekking into the gorge and then seeing these dark shadows, these shapes in the trees moving around and hearing the, the leaves rustle and, and hearing the, their, their calls to each other, their warnings. 
I just, I've always been fascinated with chimpanzees. They're our closest uh, relative. We share something like 98% of our DNA, which just always blows my mind. Um, so I found it surprising. Uh, bef- before I spoke with Praveen, I thought that seeing the chimps, trekking with the chimps would be the closest connection we could possibly feel with primates. In some ways that makes sense. But perhaps because they are so close to us, but perhaps because uh, we share so much of that DNA, the the experience, as Praveen says, is actually pretty intense. They are wary. They are aggressive at times. Um, they want to display control. Basically, they are quite human in all their failings. Um, I'm as he's talking. I kind of imagine it a little bit like walking into a park at night in a rough part of the city, and there's loads of teenagers like drinking and up to no good there. Everything's probably gonna be fine. You just kind of get your head down and walk through it, but you're expecting something, aren't you? Your guard is is up. Gorillas, surprisingly, because they're the larger animal. I mean, I thought it'd be scarier in many ways. Is the opposite. It's like walking into a hippie campfire. Everyone's just sitting around, chilling and singing kumbaya and being cool. And it's that uh, reason, because it's so chilled and the connection is so intimate and close, that. Uh, it's perhaps the the most amazing and and kind of profound primate experience you can have. This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at nissanusa.com. So we're going to travel now from the Chimbora Gorge in Uganda, pretty much directly south into Rwanda, about 160 miles to the Virunga volcanoes, these lush mountains, uh, these beautiful forests where the gorillas make their home. The Virungas are almost at the heart of Africa. Um, these are the eight volcanoes that straddle Uganda, Rwanda, and the DRC. Um, and the mountain gorillas, half the world's mountain gorillas live in the Virunga volcanoes. Um, and the forest is what is called Afro-Montane forest. It's not a thick jungle. It's a very beautiful, kind of wispy, ethereal forest. The temperature is is good. The bugs are not a, a big issue. Um, and the forests are beautiful and each one is different. They're a bit like your forest 
you'd have in Vermont. Except with mountain gorillas. I love that. I'm just picturing a slightly overweight elderly American couple with like khaki shorts and socks pulled up to their knees, leaf peeping and eating maple pancakes. And then suddenly a silverback gorilla comes like crashing through the New England undergrowth, banging his fist on his chest. This definitely isn't your typical New England behavior. The forest itself is just magical in itself. Even there was no, if there was nothing else, the forests of the Virungas are some of the most unique in the world. Generally, the terrain is not so difficult. Yes, it's a bit muddy. Um, if it's rained a lot, it'll be muddier still. There are tree roots that you've got to think about. Um, but it's not, it's not very difficult. So you walk, let's say, from one hour to three hours, and finally the trackers say, and sometimes longer, um, the trackers say, well, we now know where they are. Please leave your heavy rucksacks or whatever here. Just have your camera and um, walk towards the area where the gorillas are. Just imagine that for a second. You're trekking through the forest, you're climbing hills, you're breaking new trails through the bush, your guide is swinging that machete in front of you, and then suddenly he puts his hand up and motions for you to be still. Your heart is beating. Shadows start moving. At first you can't make out what they are, and then you see it. Then you know. And suddenly they're all around you. This isn't like being on safari in a vehicle where you are basically safe. At the worst case scenario, the ranger could just put the pedal to the metal and get you out of there. Here, you're on foot. You're on equal terms. You're in their home. And that is a completely different and more humbling experience by far. And you'll slowly start seeing one or two of them. You might see an infant uh, randomly halfway up a tree with another infant that's trying to knock it off the tree. Uh, and then you'll be conscious that not far away from the infant, either on another tree or on the ground, um, the female gorilla will be around keeping an eye on these infants. And then dotted around behind the bushes, behind the trees at different levels, will be this whole family. And the silverback at some point will make his presence felt. He'll be watching you, he'll come closer to you. If you're too close, if you intrude in his territory and you're too close, he's going to make you back off. The silverback is the boss and he lets you know about it. They are an incredibly impressive animal. They're so strong, uh, they are so muscly and the threat display uh, they do when they basically shake the trees and jump around and try and scare the hell out of their rivals is, let's just say, very effective. They know what they're doing. You must be submissive to the civil back. You mustn't threaten them. You mustn't be in their space. Uh, but having said that, you know, I've been in many situations where a civil back abruptly passes by you and touches you and almost pushes you out of the way because he's showing that He's the one in charge of this area, and you need to respect that. Otherwise, it's a very easygoing reaction. And again, they're very curious. They look at you, um, and they're, um, they're looking for fun, especially the infants. They're not aggressive. They're not looking for trouble. They're not, you know, uh, they're not the bad people of the neighborhood, so to speak. They just kind of want to get on with their life, which seems to be a lot of their life, daily life, is spent chomping away at this vast amount of um, green green stuff that they have to eat. Um, 
So that is what I think is the most beautiful aspect of this, that it's, it's very low-key, and it's important to respect that. Praveen's right. It is a very special and unique wildlife experience, partly, as he, as he says, because it's relaxed, right? There's not the intensity and wariness of the chimps or other African wildlife, for that matter, like lions and hippos and rhinos, where there's, there's always that sense of immediate danger and potential threat. There just isn't that with the gorillas. They're, they're just much more welcoming and accepting than that. And that allows uh, this incredible proximity just imagine sitting there quietly on the forest floor as a 400-pound silverback gorilla brushes past you or as their babies come up curious and start to play or as the troop climbs down from the trees and slowly surrounds you, not in a threatening, aggressive way, but in a curious way. They are looking at us in the same way we are looking at them. They see what we see, and that's what's the most amazing Thing. The, the gorillas, yes, sometimes, you know, there's obviously all the King Kong stories and all that, um, but the gorillas are fundamentally very peaceful and very docile and don't move a lot. I often tease people at audiences when I speak that gorillas are like an American family marooned in the forest and they're sitting watching their own television and eating popcorn and that's what it feels like, a group of gorillas from anything up to, say, 10 to 30 in- individuals are just randomly munching their way through wild celery and bamboo and ants and playing around and mucking around. So it's a very, very beautiful, very natural experience. And um, there are many, you know, beautiful wildlife experiences in the world. This, I suppose, is one of the rarest and the most beautiful. When you look in a gorilla's eyes, you you connect. So natural and so so wonderful that you can't you can't really imagine it it's very very it's very special mountain gorillas are amazing animals they are so intelligent um they've actually trained uh, a mountain gorilla in captivity to learn to learn sign language uh, to the level of a three-year-old child and if you have a child or you've ever been around a three-year-old child that's amazing they trust me they know how to express themselves um, and they're they're more like us than they're not they you know they have these strong family bonds they're playful they're playful with their young their young are curious basically they're, they're just like us they're more like us than not and to see one up close is is more than just a wildlife experience. It's a moment where you understand immediately in that instant our bond, our existential bond. When we look in their eyes, we see ourselves reflected back. But it's impossible to talk about mountain gorillas without talking about one woman, Diane Fossey. Diane Fossey was the uh, famed American primatologist who um, basically the film Gorillas in the Mist um, was based upon. She came here in 1967, way before anyone else did, way before anyone really knew anything about mountain gorillas and just set up a camp here, just two makeshift tents to begin with, uh, which she called Karasoki. And that would become very quickly one of the most celebrated research stations in the world. She spent the next 12 years uh, living with the gorillas. I mean, that was something that she did before really anyone else. She would spend so much time with the gorillas that they accepted her as one of their own. She would imitate their behavior to gain acceptance, kind of knuckle walking on all fours or chewing stalks of plants or playing on their natural curiosity. Um, 
But at the same time, what she did was she publicized to the whole world that these gentle giants weren't, weren't King Kongs. They were, in fact, very benign and gentle and wonderful and surprisingly intelligent creatures. And they weren't this feared monster that uh, previous generations had made out. They were, of course, our distant cousins and something to be respected and protected. But what's amazing about Diane Fossey is, uh, as well as being just an incredible researcher and, and, and publicist of the, of the mountain gorilla plight, she was also an activist. She took matters into her own hands, taking on the poachers, taking on the cattle herders uh, who were clearing the forest. She took them all on with these increasingly um, severe tactics, uh, burning snares, self-funding anti-poaching uh, units. Um, she would even wear masks and kind of played up to this image of her as this white witch who came to protect the, the mountain gorillas. But all that came at a terrible, terrible price. On the 27th of December, 1985, Diane Fossey was found murdered in the cabin of her research station. There was evidence of forced entry, but no signs that any robbery had been committed. And the killer has still never been found. But though Diane's work was so influential, and without her, the mountain gorillas may not exist today, uh, those were desperate, desperate times. There were less than 300 mountain gorillas in the wild when Diane Fossey first came to the Virunga Mountains. But her philosophy on how to protect them was fundamentally different to Praveen's. Diane Fossey, when she worked with the gorillas, um, wasn't very convinced that tourism was a good thing. She said if there's tourism, it'll cause health and stress issues for the gorillas. Um, so she was reluctant to have it. It did start in her time, and now, of course, it's continued from, from the mid-'80s to, to today, 35 years later. Well, having been a practitioner of gorilla and chimpanzee tourism for 20-odd years and having um, pioneered this work in our different lodges, all I can say is that sensitive and controlled tourism is essential for the survival of the gorillas. And the reason for that is if there's no tourism, they don't have an economic value. So there's no reason why the local people will keep the forests and the gorillas uh, to survive. You know, they're a nuisance to them. Um, but if you provide this economic value, then there's a reason for them to support the gorillas. But this must, must be controlled in a very sensitive way. Because if there's too much tourism, too much exposure, if there are too many negative aspects about stress and health, then the gorillas will suffer. So it's a very delicate balance. It is a delicate balance. But since Diane Fossey's day, gorilla numbers are on the rise from 300 to just now over 800 in the region. And their future is cautiously, very, very cautiously optimistic. Rwanda is on the rise too. It's now recognized as a world leader in sustainable wildlife tourism uh, with the model, Praveen's model, uh, that is now being copied around the world. The scars of that terrible war are still there, but the next generation has something now that they never had before, hope. And that is a powerful thing. But that delicate balance is also one of the issues that we have throughout the world of travel and adventure. It got me thinking, too. So right at the end, I asked Praveen about what the future of travel was for him and why it was important and how we can better understand and protect this delicate balance of needs moving forward. Here's what he said. Well, I think it's each of us will have our own 
reason to travel. One, of course, is to explore new cultures, new parts of the world, new ecosystems, to have a break, to relax. Uh, but often, of course, travel is in search of oneself, isn't it? What is one's place in the world? What is one trying to do? And wider issues about what humanity is doing. And one of the quotes that I saw many years ago was from a very famous traveler called Ibn Battuta. And Ibn Battuta was a Moroccan living on the west, uh, west, northwestern side of Africa. And he was one of the earliest global travelers uh, in the 14th century. And he went from Morocco through North Africa to Middle East, to India and China, and to some parts of Europe. And so he was a very impressive and very ins- impressive man, and also an interesting man because he did the, the travel before most of the European explorers. He saw most of that most of the known world by land uh, in the 14th century. He said to him, travel meant kinship with humanity. And I thought that was such a powerful phrase um, because otherwise you can go to the end of the world, you can of course, you know, pamper yourself and be egotistical about yourself and have more and more to eat and, (laughs) and do many activities. But unless you're relating well to your surroundings and especially to the people, um, it's not going to be such a strong experience. And then there is this question, as you say, what does humanity mean? Well, it's many different layers of it. I mean, certainly in my work, in my life, some of the powerful influences that I've had concerning humanity are the comments of Mahatma Gandhi uh, in relation to people who are less off than oneself and people like Guru Nanak, the first Sikh uh, guru from the 15th century and they have very profound comments of how you need to relate with humanity and I think these issues matter to us today to be respectful to foreign cultures uh, to learn from them to be to share with them and as you know the South Africans have this concept of Ubuntu that by sharing together you are the, the sharing is much greater so I think these things are sometimes forgotten Um, but they are the key um, to our experiences. But there is this whole question of how we're relating to the planet, to the earth, to the other wildlife on it, to people like indigenous communities. And I think that should be even more important uh, and central uh, in our thinking about travel. Uh, Because if we're not respectful to all these different components of the earth, We're not doing ourselves a service. Travel is kinship with humanity. I love that. I love that quote. It's one of my favorite new quotes. And I am so pleased that Praveen shared that uh, with us today because it's true, isn't it? Travel is kinship with other cultures. It's connecting with other cultures, with other people. It's finding out about the ways that other people live their life. And in doing that, we can connect more deeply with them. We can empathize with them. And perhaps we can learn to empathize with the planet as a whole, with wildlife, with the mountain gorillas and other animals that need our empathy right now. I love that quote so much. That is what this show is all about. Thank you, Praveen. Thank you so much for this inspiring adventure and for the continued work that you do. And I just want to recognize some of that work. If you're interested in doing any of this yourself, please check out volcanosafari.com. That's his website. There really is no better way to see mountain gorillas in the wild. And you know that your money 
it's expensive. It's not for all budgets, that's for sure. But you know that your money is going to good. It's going to help the gorillas. It's going to help the, the local communities. And he has now four lodges across Uganda and Rwanda. Um, and so you can combine the mountain gorillas and the Chambora chimps all in one incredible adventure. I really hope that one day I can do that too. Uh, also in the show notes, I'm going to put up some more info about the nonprofit work they do and how you can get involved as well as more about this uh, incredible Chambora Gorge ecotourism project. Please check that out to see how you can support creating this buffer zone that needs to be created. Finally, uh, Praveen and I both wanted to highlight the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund for the important research they continue to do in Diane's name. Go to gorillafund.org to find out more about how you can be part of helping to protect this incredible animal. And to all of you, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for hanging out. Remember, if you like this show, please help support it by sharing it with your friends and fellow explorers. We really want to inspire as many people as we can to fall in love with the outdoors, to fall in love with this incredible planet of ours. Armchair-explorer.com is the website. At Aaron M. Writer is the social media. Please subscribe, leave a review, sign up to our newsletter. But most of all, Keep exploring because the more we look for wonder in the world, the more the wonder of the world becomes a part of who we are. Dare to be truly alive.